Welcome. You are listening to a special episode of TLR's podcast. In this series, we are talking to the reviewers who brought you TLR's 55 most reread books. Each episode breaks down the list into specific favorites for that reviewer. You can find more reviews and best of lists on thelesbianreview.com. Today I'm joined by the fabulous Jeannie Levick, author and sometimes reviewer at TLR. Jeannie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. You're on today because you're talking about your selection for our latest big list, which we dropped, which was the 55 most reread books. Mm-hmm. And you've got a couple of books on your list. So what is it that brings you back to books again and again? I was thinking about that because I watched your other podcasts with the other reviewers. And so I knew I was, I knew you're going to ask this. And it was really kind of, it took me a long time to come up with an answer to it. And finally, what occurred to me is simply how much a book makes me think about it and for how long after I've read it. And that's really the the only common denominator because a lot of my rereads are very different from one another. I don't, there, I've found some small themes and, you know, some, like even in the five I'm talking about today, I found a theme that fits two or three of them, but then not the other two. And so really what it boils down to is a, if a book grabs me enough that first of all, after the first read, I find myself thinking about it for a week or two, that's a dead giveaway. But even past that, if I find myself keep, I keep coming back to it, like as I'm reading other books and I kind of hold a book up as a standard of comparison for future books or just how much it comes back to me. And eventually after a few times it comes back to me to think about different things, I'll pick it up again. And so that's, I think that's predominantly how books get on my reread list. That's a great answer. I completely get it. Some books just kind of stay with you. Oh, yes, very much so. And those are the ones I will come back to and read over and over again. There, you know, there might be books that I read again maybe once or twice for specific reasons, but the ones that just kind of linger in my mind or the characters stay with me, those are the ones that I ultimately will come back to over and over and over again. Okay. So let's start with your very first selection. What is the first book on your list? Let's start with Roller Coaster, because that, that one has been with me for a very long time. It's written by Karen Callmaker. Yeah, you know, I discovered Karen Callmaker as an author way back when she wrote for Nyad Press in the 90s. And I'm pretty sure Roller Coaster, I didn't discover Roller Coaster until Nyad was out of business and Bella had picked up a lot of their authors. So it was somewhere in the you know early 2000s I think that it came out. So and I probably read it in about maybe 2006, 7, 8 somewhere in there because that's when I kind of rediscovered some of the Nyad authors at Bella. And it's one that it fits what I said. I think about it a lot. I mean, over and over and over again, not like constantly at this point, but I don't even know how many times I've read that book. That book, it, it has several elements that I love in any kind of fiction, you know, lesbian fiction or mainstream or anything else. And one of the components of that book that really, that I really like is 
the element of creating a family because one of the character one of the main characters it's a romance novel and one of the main characters Helen is a theater actor in New York is where her career is but she's set up her home in California she hi- she's looking for a private chef to cook for her and her kids her when she's home and her kids all the time she has teenage twins and one of them has severe food allergies and so she's very very particular about who she hires to handle the food in the house and and all of that and I'll start let me back up because the the prologue of the book takes place I don't know how many years probably about maybe 15 years earlier where the two main characters Helen and Laura they're in their Laura is in, she's the chef, and she's in her early 20s, and she's dreaming to be a chef and own her own restaurant at that point, and Helen is just starting out in acting, and they meet on a roller coaster, which is, you know, where the title comes from, I'm sure. They meet on this roller coaster for their own reasons. Laura wanted to ride this one roller coaster, I think, one last time before she takes off for for culinary school and to really start making her way in her life, following her dream. And Helen is there because she's been in therapy and her, she has a fear of heights. And so her therapist told her, go face that, face your fear. And apparently this roller coaster is, is, goes extremely high. So they meet on the roller coaster. They're sitting together and they, they get on the roller coaster but they don't know each other initially. And so they get on the roller coaster and the roller coaster starts going and then it breaks down and they're stuck at the very tippy top of the roller coaster for quite a long time. So Helen has this total meltdown and Laura helps her hold it together by just talking to her and telling her things. So they really, they connect way back then. And then that's the prologue. And then it, chapter one starts where Helen is in her, I think she's almost 50. And she's in, she's a famous and established theater actress. So she, she achieved her dream. And she, that's where she's interviewing for a private chef. And Laura has, when they were on the roller coaster, Laura had been in culinary school and because of the stress of it all, she developed a a drug addiction. So she had to drop out and get clean. And then when they meet on the roller coaster, she's head, she's picking up, she's putting her life back together after that. So she has already confessed to Helen way back when that she was a drug addict. So when she sees the ad and she figures out it's Helen advertising she wants the job because it's really a a really nice job for her to for that time in her life and so she goes to the interview and she recognizes Helen but Helen does not recognize her so she goes ahead and and accepts the position Helen likes her and you know she accepts the position but then she's always terrified that Helen's going to figure out who she is and realize she's hired a drug addict to, you know, stay with her kids. I love books that where a family is created. So that's one of the things that really draws me to this book is Helen 
Helen hires Laura. And when Helen is in New York, she's in New York like Wednesday through Saturday doing her show. And then she comes home late Saturday night, early Sunday morning and stays until the following Wednesday afternoon. And so when Helen is gone, Laura stays at the house with the kids. And then there's a bunch of stuff that goes on at the house that Laura cleans up. There's a house manager that Helen has had for years that Laura figures out is stealing for Helen and exploiting, exploiting the housekeepers and the gardeners by making them pay her or she'll fire them. And there's all kinds of stuff that this house manager is doing. So Laura figures that out and cleans that up for her. And she, you know, she just takes impeccable care of the kids. And so there, and there's a solid connection that builds between Helen and Laura during that time. And it just, you know, as romance novels do, it develops into a romance, but there's always that underlying fear on Laura's part that Helen's going to figure out who she is. And you know how it is when a lie starts, you know, the longer it goes, <laughs> the harder it is to come clean with it. So the the whole pacing of the book is, it's just perfect for that kind of a romance. And the characters are very interesting. Laura's biracial. And so, you know, Callmaker delves into her backstory and how that's affected her. And Helen was married to a man earlier in her, she's widowed. Her, her husband was killed at some point, actually when the kids were fairly young, I believe. You know, Callmaker, she, she just does it beautifully, whatever she does. She really makes, has made this book a solid reread for me. And I highly recommend it, especially to people first starting out in lesbian fiction, because like I said, you can always count on Callmaker. She's solid. So whatever, whatever somebody says they like, if Callmaker's written it, it you can re recommend it. And so I, I always recommend um, Roller Coaster to people who are just starting out. But for it, you know, even if you're a big Lesfic fan, I, I highly recommend it. It's just, it's a... It's a very, very well done formula romance that you can count on. It has all the high points. It has all the low points. It has everything you want from a romance. It's been with me a long time. It's so funny because one of Coolmaker's other books is on the list for me. But Coolmaker's like that. She's got such depth to her writing that her books are never the same twice. And no, no, never. I just love her and I feel kind of sad because I feel like there's a, a whole sector of people who don't know her as the giant that people who came in a little bit earlier do know her as, if that makes sense in the last thing. Exactly. Yeah, the the market was so small for a while that, you know, the the really powerful writers really stood out a lot more. You know, now there's the market is growing and growing and growing and so, you know, it's it can take a while for a reader to discover the call makers and, you know, like you said, the giants. Yeah. For me, Karen Callmaker is a go-to for, you're right, just about anything. If, if, if there's something mm -hmm. particular you want, she's probably written it because she's written a whole lot of books. <laughs> she has. No, she's great. Absolutely. Highly recommend. What's, what's your call maker book that's on the list? I can't remember. Christabel. Okay. I haven't read that one. I need to read that one. I have a tendency to really love books with a 
parallel storyline of romance across time almost. Oh, okay. And Christabel's that. Anyway, I, I actually don't want to get into that because otherwise I'm going to be here the whole day talking about Callbaker. But but Christabel is my, my reread. And I've reread that book like hundreds of times. I just yeah. absolutely adore it. Uh, yeah. But Callmaker is brilliant. Yes, she is. Callmaker, let me say one more thing about Callmaker. She also was, uh, her book, Touchwood, and I, I've posted this billions of places, but um, Touchwood it was the very first lesbian fiction novel I ever read. And so Callmaker, she'll always have a place in my heart for that alone. Because that she was my she was my doorway. And I didn't know lesbian fiction existed. And then due to a series of circumstances, I ended up with her book, Touchwood, with a couple of lesbian erotic and romantic um, anthologies. So Touchwood is that was my very first lesbian fiction novel of any kind and it's what made me realize there these books were out there so she's special to me in that way as well we share a commonality i can't remember the exact one but she was definitely one of my first it was between her and radcliffe i can't remember the exact one i read first but it was one of them i discovered them very early on in my lesbian finding days and then i just devoured Everything I could. <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay. What is your next one? Uh, let's see. The next one. Let's go with Making a Comeback by Julie Blair. That is a, that's a more, it's a more current one. It came out, uh, I want to say like maybe 2015, 16, somewhere in there. And and this is one, there, there, there's a little bit of a theme in the five I put on this list with an additional one that I really should have put on the list. So I'm going to, I'm going to sneak it in here too. But I, <laughs> I love books that, any, any book, lesbian or otherwise, I love books that music plays a big part in the book but not just in terms of plot line. They, they have to be books where the writer somehow, however they do it, has managed to make me feel the music through the writing. And I don't know how they do it, but there's, there's several books, a couple of them are on the list, my list today that have done that. And making a comeback is one of them. The, the two main characters are musicians. Liz is a, a jazz pianist and Jack is a well she used to be and comes that's the making a comeback part she's she comes back into the jazz music arena as a trumpet player and the way Julie Blair writes this book when I read it and and I can't explain it but when I read this book I could feel the music through her descriptions of it. And that's not to say I could hear it. Like, I don't know what the tunes sounded like in my head. But, you know, music has a feeling to it. And I grew up with music. My mom was a very gifted pianist. So I grew up around piano music. It was always, she was always on the piano in the house. 
And there's a feeling that goes with that. And Julie Blair nailed it in making a comeback. And the, the story is wonderful too. And there's some other elements of the story that I think make this book very unique that made me keep coming back to it over and over again also. One of them is that Jack, the trumpet player, she stopped, she she was in a car accident. Her part of her backstory, she was in a car accident and her injuries left her blind. And so at the opening of the book, she's she's pretty much a recluse. And she's she's dropped out of performing, and she she does a jazz music review blog online, but nobody knows it's her. She does it under a different name, and so you know she's she's walled herself off, and and she's a, she's very she's very self pitying in the beginning of the book, and because she hasn't worked through the loss of her sight yet. So she's she's still working through that. And then Liz is working through uh, the death of her wife, uh, I think a year or two earlier. So they both have, they both have pretty significant backstories and obstacles that they're working through. And then the music part of it is is a big draw for me. And, and then, of course, there's a dog. Jack has a seeing-eye dog, and a dog will always hook me into a book. And the dog is, is a really good character in the book. But predominantly for me, what, what keeps me coming back to this book so many times is that, that thing that Blair did where she just makes you feel the music. And I part of me, you know, one thing, I've read it, several times because I keep looking for, okay, what, how did she write this differently? Why do I feel it in this book and not all books that deal with music? And I, I don't have an answer for that. And another book that does that, this is what I'm going to slip in is Listen by Chris Bryant, where there's a, she, the, one of the main characters in that book is a concert pianist who she was a, a prodigy. And I mean, she was at the peak of her career as a concert pianist by the time she was eight, I think. And then in her teens, she just had a total breakdown. And in the book, she's she's an adult and she hasn't touched a piano in years. And so her part of the storyline is coming back from that. And Bryant in that book does the same thing. She, at least for me, and I, you know, for me, I can feel the music in that book. And so I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed with that when a writer can do that. <laughs> and so both of those are rereads for me. You know, Bryant's Listen, I think it only came out last year in 2019. And I've already read it, I think, four times since it came out, maybe even five. And the, and the characters are a draw for me too. I really like both of the characters and she, with um, the, Lily's character, the pianist, she tackles the the social anxiety and the emotional elements that she was left with after her breakdown. And she does a really good job with that too. But yeah, making a comeback, it is officially on my list. And the, you know, those are the reasons that I came up with as to what keep what keeps me going back to it. 
So I see you've been taking notes from Terra and slipping uh, in the, the subtle art of slipping in extra I think, books. I think if Terra could do it, I could get away with at least one, maybe maybe two before you shut me down. <laughs> so yeah, you can blame Terra for this. <laughs> I totally am. Terra, this is all your fault. <laughs> you know, you know what you know what they say. Once you open a door, you know you can't you can't close it again. So. <laughs> it's so true, especially when talking about books, hey? Exactly. There's just too many. I mean, this is this is hard to do, you know, even on a reread list. And, you know, I, I misunderstood when you asked us, when you asked all the reviewers, you know, what are our favorite rereads? I thought it was just a conversation. <laughs> so I didn't put as much thought into it as I would have listened, would have ended up on my list if I'd understood we were creating this list. But I was a little spaced at the time. And so... I specifically did it that way because I didn't want you guys to really think about it. I wanted the list to come out as the first books that came to top of mind because those, for me, are the ones that you truly will uh, go yeah, back to again and again remember because, you know, those are your knee-jerk reaction books, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes That's sense. why I actually didn't explain to you guys, Shem. <laughs> and the next thing I was dropping a list and you guys were like, what, what, what just happened? <laughs> that, was a, that was a trick. That was really tricky, Sheena. <laughs> but I'm glad I got listened in there. Thank you for spending your time with TLR. We rely on the support of listeners, patrons and advertisers. So please click on our links to buy. Check out the show notes to find our Patreon link and support our advertisers. You are listening to the Lesbian Review Podcast. We bring you the best lesbian books, movies, and music reviews on thelesbianreview.com. I see you've also got uh, Requiem for Immortals on here, which has also got the music element in in it, I'm guessing. Exactly. And again, and I, I love cello music. I love listening to cellos. So for her being a cellist... It was really unique. There's so much about Requiem for Mortals. That's a book for me that I could talk about for days because there's, it's so multi-layered and both the plot and the characters are so complex, which is another draw for me. You know, the, the more complex where the complexity is well done. I mean, there's some com- complex books that just, you know, it feels more chaotic than complex, but this book, everything in it is so well done. Another thing that will pull me in that I will read a book over and over again for is the writing style. And the writing style for Lee Winter's writing style in general is very good. But in this book, she just she just went far and above. The only time Natalia slash Requiem feels is or the only time she thinks she feels is when she's playing the cello, which then goes ties back into how that's written in a way that you can act. I can actually, as the reader, feel the music with her. And there's only, there, there's only one main scene that goes into that, but oh my God, that scene brought tears to my eyes. And so that that was really powerful for me. And so, yes, this book does tie in with the music theme as well. And just that, you know, that's one of her careers. I love Natalia slash Requiem's 
character just all by itself. I mean, if, if, if there was just a series of short stories about that character, I would read everything about that character I could get my hands on. Because I think Winter does such an exquisite job in writing her and in expressing so many different facets of her. You know, she's just so complicated and so complex and so controversial. And, you know, on the one hand, she does all these horrible things. But on the other hand, she really is, she's just so wounded and so damaged from her own backstory that I just, I just can't help but be touched by her. I don't know, this this book moved me in ways that very few books do. And so, it, again, it will always be on my reread list. I re-listened to it. I did the audio um, before to prepare for this podcast. And the audio, if you haven't listened to it, is phenomenal. The, the narrator, I think, just does such a great job with everything with the emotional, you know, conveying the emotions with the banter between Natalia and Allison with just every, everything about it. Um, I love, I love the narrator and the job she did on the audiobook, And I highly recommend for, to anybody who likes audiobooks. I highly recommend it. And, you know, at the same time, I will say that, you know, this book I'm sure probably isn't for everyone because it has some pretty grisly stuff in it. It deals with, a very seedy side of life that most of us, one of the main things that brings me back to this book is the complexity of the plot and the characters and just what a beautiful job Winter does bringing it all together. I completely agree with you. I think Requiem for Mortals is one of those amazing once-in-a-lifetime books that Poor Lee Winter now has to live up to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and fortunately, she's a very talented writer. So, and, and, you know, I've read some of her other stuff that, that it's very good. But since I've read Requiem, it's like, I don't know how she's going to do that. <laughs> but she'll, she'll always write good books. So, you know, there's no concern about that. Absolutely. No, she's an excellent author. I mean... Just when you think you know what's happening, she pulls the rug out from under your feet. And she does that over and over and over again. It's like, oh, my God. Requiem grows and changes so much through the course of the book. That's the other thing because, you know, there, there are books about, you know, hardcore characters similar to Requiem. But Requiem changes so much, and you can see one of the most poignant things, you know, the opening scene is that scene with Sonia where she's just so cruel with her. And then later on, she's on the flip side of that, you know, and she she gets it even right in that moment. She says, oh, my God, this is what I did to Sonia. And that was, you know, that's unusual for a character. A character like her, you know, a lot of times writers write characters like her and and keep them so, I don't know, emotionally boxed in, I guess maybe for the toughness or something. I don't know, you know, but that's one thing I love about Requiem is she just, 
she changes so much through the course of the book. And then the audiobook comes with the follow-up short story as well, where you get to see them three years later together. And that is a really cool story. It's called Love is Not Nothing. And it's a, it's a short story. If you haven't read that, you should pick that up. That's... Did you just slip another book in? No, that's a short story. <laughs> It's a it's a short story <laughs> and it no no listen it's a short story and it's a continuation of Requiem for Immortals. No, that this one this one isn't. <laughs> and if you and if you buy the audiobook, you get the short story with it. So no, that doesn't count as another slip. <laughs> uh, the the last time I recorded a podcast with Tara, I actually said she's going to slip in so many books <laughs> that we should have a drinking game. And the listeners, every time she mentions a book that's not on the show notes list, you have to take a drink. And by the end of it, I'm sure everybody Everyone's was completely be drunk. drunk. <laughs> I'd say what? I think listeners should be doing the same thing here. So, so far we've got two shots, guys. <laughs> well, so I guess I should, I guess I should be grateful that I've forgotten the, the other one I was going to slip in. <laughs> So if it comes back to mind, I won't mention it. <laughs> okay. What's next on your list? Oh, goodness. Next. Let's go with The Night Off by Megan O'Brien. There's no music in it. <laughs> this one, I love it for several reasons. First of all, it's it's an erotic romance. And it is, as most Megan O'Brien books, as most of her erotic romances are. It is it is exquisitely done. This one goes into I'd consider it some medium BDSM scenes. They're not they're not real extreme, but they're very they're very detailed. And they it it fit they fit with the plot of the book. The just real quickly the the plot is one of the main characters, another Emily. She's a workaholic. She has custody of her teenage sister that she's raising. Their parents were killed, and she, she took custody of her younger sister when she was only like 19, I believe. And so she has that responsibility. She's always done everything. You know, she takes care of everybody else and does everything she's supposed to do. And so she comes across somewhere, this escort service, basically, where they, they in, in, your in, in their interview with you as a client, they have you write out your sexual fantasy and they create it for you. They play it out for you. So she saves up, she saves and saves and saves because apparently this kind of thing is not cheap. And... <laughs> If you want your fantasies, you're going to have to pay for them. And so she she does it. <laughs> and so the book opens with her fantasy beginning. And you, you get all the other stuff in, in backstory. And the sex worker that is assigned to her is a very, very hot butch named Nat. And her fantasy is, is to be basically abducted and and taken somewhere and have all of the BDSM things she's always fantasized about done to her and with her. 
And so, I mean, the whole first five chapters of the book is that. <laughs> and it is, it's, if you like that kind of erotica, it is really hot. And, but then it goes into, they, they connect through that. And you're, you're in alternate point of views. So you know what, you know that it's an unusual experience that each of them is feeling with the other one. And so when it's all supposed to be done, they decide to spend the weekend together. And from there on, you know, it becomes more what you'd expect of a romance. It deals with a number of issues. It, you know, it deals with uh, some of the stuff that comes up for those of us who enjoy that kind of sex. And, you know, because Emily has only fantasized about it before. So she, you know, she has some stuff come up as far as accepting, not really accepting that part of her. She's accepted it, but, you know, with the reality of it versus the fantasy of it. And then that she, she's never felt this way about a client before. And she, she has a whole other side of her life where she's, wants to be a, she wants to be a chef and has taken culinary classes and stuff. And so she, you know, she's getting to the age that she kind of wants out of the sex worker stuff, but she hasn't really gotten the courage to take that step. And so being with Emily helps her do that. And so, so the rest of it is just the develop, not just the rest of it is the development of them falling in love and really realizing that each can be a contribution to each other's lives. And then the, the complication is, ends up being the younger sister who is a, she's a bit of a pill cause she's, she's a typical teenage girl where everything's about her and she walks in on them. <laughs> so that doesn't help at all. <laughs> And it's just, it's a very well done erotic romance. And I, I do enjoy a very, of good erotic romance novel. I do like it to be a romance. I mean, I, I like plain erotica also, but I prefer the romantic element be in there too. Again, O'Brien, she does that very well in all of her books, but this one really stands out for me. I read the print version of it quite a few times before the audiobook came out. And then as soon as the audiobook came out, I immediately bought it. And I've listened to that a number of times too. O'Brien is another one of these uh, giants in the sector for exactly this, for erotic romances. Mm -hmm. Her sex scenes are extremely long. Her foreplay in uh, uh, Take a Drink, Folks, <laughs> in uh, 13 hours is like half the book uh -huh. just on like, foreplay and getting to know each other and that kind of thing but it's all very sexy and it's ridiculously hot i haven't read this one myself but i've read enough of her work to know that this is also going to be a steamy read oh my god yes yeah 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 and it's narrated by alexandria wilde who did wild as well mm -hmm. and i think it, she might have done a couple of other audiobooks very good narration mm -hmm. yeah she she's a very good narrator she's abby creighton right i think so yeah, I believe she is. So she, I mean, she's she's really a top narrator as well. It's a really good pairing. She does the sex scenes really well, you know, the detail of them, and she, she doesn't shy away from them at all. And I remember the first time I picked up The Night Off, 
and I was reading it, and the the whole first, literally five chapters, <laughs> is their first. It, it's not just a sex scene; it's a it's a string of sex scenes because they spend the whole night together, and they're they're in the process of exploring Emily's fantasy, and so it's it's very detailed. And even in the context of the BDSM play, which, like I said, it's not it's not extreme, but even in the context of that, like there's several places where Emily has difficulty, you know, because because all those voices in your head if, when you're doing something like that. And Nat is so sweet and so gentle with her, just, you know, easing her through it. You know, always reminding her that, you know, you can call it off at any time, you know, but, but Nat's character and the way she deals with Emily, knowing it's her first time for a lot of this stuff is just so sweet in that, within that context, which is always a nice, I like that juxtaposition between those two things. So yeah, the, the whole book is just, it's just so well done. I think you you hit on a very important point there. O'Brien has this kind of first of all she's a really smart lady. She is mm-hmm. like super way smarter than me kind of smart lady. And I'm not like <laughs> stupid, right? <laughs> I I was going to say I'm not I'm not sure I'd agree with that, but she is a very smart lady. <laughs> she loves to write STEM careers into her her main characters in her books, um which is mm-hmm. phenomenal. But she also really understands the human condition, especially around sex, the hang-ups that we have around that, the how some people don't have the hang-ups. You know, she really understands that. And so she injects a lot of the sex scenes become more than just, you know, a one-handed read. It becomes a a story of that person. Absolutely. Uh, And of their, and of their evolution. Yes. There's their sexual evolution, especially in a, in an erotic romance to have that developed the same way the other aspects of the character is developed is it just makes it such a fuller experience of the character. You know, as opposed to having some other part of them developed and then, oh, yeah, we're going to have sex here. Right. You know, it, it's a part of their evolution and it's a part of their growth and their development and, you know, just how they see themselves in the world. Like for all of us, you know, for, for me, when I came out as a lesbian, that was that changed how I see myself in the world and, you know, how I stand in the world because I was in the world as a more whole person than I'd been before because I was comfortable with it. I was out about it. It wasn't something I didn't talk about or didn't share. You know, it was, it made a big difference. And, you know, the same thing is true in, in reading a book about a character, if their sexual involvement is also developed the same in the same intimacy as the rest. And so, and Robert, you're right. O'Brien does that exquisitely well. And just on a sort of a side um, note, uh, I love that Lesvik provides a smorgasbord of amazing sexual experiences for women because we don't get taught about sex really to speak of, about our own bodies, about how it all works. And, you know, that's something we have to discover on our own sort of terms. As women or as lesbians? Both. I don't think women are 
exposed to sex in the same way that men boys are exposed to sex and their bodies and how it works and you know pleasure it does make sense and i i think i it, it wasn't particularly true for me but i think it's true for a lot of women i think you're right societally my my exposure to sex um and realizing the pleasure of it came came young and not and not in a not in a way that like I wasn't molested or anything it wasn't it wasn't that and I won't go into it because <laughs> it's not what we're talking about in this podcast <laughs> if you ever do a podcast on it I'll be happy to share it but but you know so for me I mean I I was very aware of the the pleasure part of my body you know at a very young age and so but I do get what you're saying. And I think societally in, in a lot of our societies, because I know your society is different than the U.S. society, but certainly here in the U.S., I think that's very true. And I think it is very true in a lot of world societies for women. So, yeah, yeah. I, and so, so, yes, when we come across books like O'Brien's that explore it so fully from both the physical and the psychological and the emotional, you know, she comes, she covers all bases in her sex scenes. And it's what makes her sex scenes and her romantic, erotic romances so powerful. You've got one more, I think. Uh, the Road to Madison, I believe, is my fifth one. And that that's another newer one, but I've already read it several times and I know I will read it more. Uh, that one, that one speaks to me in a in a little bit different way than the others on this list. I like the longevity of that story. And and that is that is true for me with books and movies in general. I I love the fact that that story spans these women's like their whole lives. I think they meet when they're 6. You see them at several different points in their lives. You see them as children, you see them as teenagers. And then you see them when they come back together as adults where they're working out all their stuff. And like, I love, the, I love Madison's, even when they were apart and even though it was Madison that it's her circumstances that kept them apart, she always knew she would go back to Anna. You know, it's written in such a way that that I, she, she never doubts that, you know, she's just waiting until she can get out from under her father and everything that, that he does. And, and I love the fact that it's not, it doesn't stop there. You know, there's so many, so many romance novels, you know, that part of the romance formula is that, you know, they have to have some obstacle that keeps them apart for, at least a significant part of the book, something that they have to work out. And I love the fact that Spencer doesn't leave it just at the father's threat to Madison. He, it goes deeper into Anna's mother's past that really, to me, makes it so understandable why Madison wouldn't and why she didn't 
just take a stand with her father because there's 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 a lot of books that you know as a reader you read and I and I'll read them and I'll think well you know if she just took a stand and you know gave up her money or her position or whatever it is you know a I'd respect her more and b she could have the woman she wanted but in this book there's a backstory element that goes back all the way into Anna's mother's backstory and therefore Anna's backstory that that adds so much depth to Madison's feelings during that time that that she couldn't have Anna and even when even when they come back together and Madison's trying to get Anna back she doesn't she doesn't violate that she doesn't tell Anna that stuff because she knows it will hurt her and uh, to me it just it really illustrates a really deep love on Madison's part for Anna and I, I really liked Madison's character I liked Anna's character but Madison's character is the real draw for me in that book and you know because sometimes Patience takes more strength than anything else. You know, sometimes that kind of patience and that kind of longevity in getting what we want or, you know, going after what we want is harder than the actual journey of doing it. I mean, it's a part of the journey, but it's, it's harder than when we can actually take action, I guess is what I'm saying. And she was very patient with it. She she bided her time and she, you know, she did what she needed to do, but she never lost sight of the fact that she was going to go back for Anna. And I love that part of that book. It's also really well written. Yes. Yeah, Spencer's, a, she's, she's, a very, she's a very good writer if that book's an indication. I haven't read either of her other two books. If that's typical of her writing, she's she's a very talented writer. This book is head and shoulders above the other two. It's, uh, you know, I was talking about that once in a lifetime book. I wonder this is now the book she needs to live up to, if that makes sense for her next stuff. You know, and and as a writer, you know, probably in any profession, um, I, you know, that's that's difficult. When yes, it's 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 great to do something that well but then it's like okay what do I do next I was what was I was listening to yesterday oh uh in the Grammys that there did you uh, a friend of mine told me in the Grammys that this uh, new singer whose name I cannot remember but she swept the Grammys she she took everything you know best song best album best producer but everything all she got five Grammys and she's 18 years old. It's the very first album she's ever done. She recorded it in her brother's bedroom. He was the he does all the background music and stuff. And and I thought, you know, to to do that at 18, it's like what's left? <laughs> you know, as a musician, when you win five Grammys, what at 18, what you know, what is there? after that and you know it's it's similar to what we're talking about here when you write a book like requiem for immortals or 
you know, in Spencer's case, like The Road to Madison or, you know, for any author, there's there's then it's like you, you and your readers and your editors and your publishers know you can do this. And so it, it raises the bar. And I recently read a book that by an author that I there's she has a book like that that I just absolutely love that is just so amazing. And then this recent one I read is it just falls so short. And that was my exact thought. It's like, okay, I know you can do better than this. And, you know, as an author, I try to hold myself to the highest standard of of certainly what I've already written for that very reason, because my readers are going to pick up a book and say, I know you can do better than this. If I've been lazy or sloppy or, you know, just went with a, a simpler plot that was easier to write at the time or whatever, whatever the reasons are, you know, my readers are going to feel that it's great to write a really good book and then you got to keep writing really good books. <laughs> I think what you need to do is not put pressure on yourself and you need to find your next passion project. I think a lot of these books, you'll find that they are, there's something different about the actual writing process for the authors. There's a passion, an internal passion that they haven't necessarily felt. It's it's almost like when passion meets skill and they just click. Yeah. So they finally have the, the skill yeah. to do it. Uh, they've probably been practicing for years. They finally have that, that skill to be able to tell that story in the way that they want to and the the passion for that story and that little devil sitting on their shoulder whispering in their ear that this needs to happen now, this, you know. And I think if you've written one of those books, like I suspect for Radcliffe, Fated Love is that book. Wasn't that her first book or first published book? I, I honestly don't know offhand if it was her first, but Fated Love is that book that everybody's read everybody's loved and everybody holds the standard mm -hmm. there and she's gone on yeah. to write yeah. many other excellent books i mean fated love is not my favorite of hers uh, but it is a very good book oh take another drink folks um <laughs> we got more books in there <laughs> this is this is your this fault is totally this, i didn't do this totally one <laughs> It's actually Tara's fault. Tara, you hearing us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. We're blaming Tara. I forgot. It's Tara's fault. Shame on you, Tara. <laughs> so, Jeannie, before we depart, I want to talk about your book that made it onto this list. So, A Wish Upon a Star is a book that one of the other uh, team members actually put on as a reread. How did you feel when you saw that come out? <laughs> that That was really an awesome feeling. I was touched by it. I, not only for this list, but, but I've had readers contact me about different, you know, different ones of my books. And it, it always is such a gratifying and rewarding feeling to hear somebody say, you know, oh my God, this is such a great book. I, you know, it speaks to me so strongly. I've, I've read it however many times, you know, I, it's, I just, and even in the, in some of the groups where, you know, conversations come up about rereads when people name one of my books as a reread, it, it's very, it's very rewarding because, you know, you know how, when you put like 
hours into making a big holiday dinner or something and everybody rushes to the table and sits down and eats it in 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's easy to feel that way in, in writing, you know, I, it, cause you know, it, it takes a long time to write a novel and you put a lot of yourself into it. And then yes, fabulous when people buy it and read it and, you know, enjoy it. But there's something else going on when somebody goes back to it time after time after time and says, you know, oh, well, every time I read it, I get something different out of it, which is the way I feel about all these books I've talked about today. Every time I read it, it speaks to, they speak to me in a different way. And so that's, that's very rewarding to me as an author. And I would, I would suspect to any author, any author that ended up on this 55 reread book list, you know, has, I would suspect it feels the same way to them and just as gratifying and rewarding. And, and that's not to say there aren't billions of books out there that are fabulous books, but, you know, to, to have one singled out like this and, you know, to end up on this list, it was, it was really, it it's a really powerful feeling. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things is, you know, some of my readers know because it's been so long now that I've been writing the book I'm writing on my current whip and I've had some struggles with it. And so it's, it, there's a lot more time between my last book, A Wish Upon a Star, and when this next one will come out. And things like this, you know, having some of my books on a list like this or hearing from readers about, you know, the impact one of my books has had on them or and anything like that, it really helps writers to, to keep going, to, to push through any struggles that are coming up, if they're having them, if they're not great. But, you know, if we're having struggles with our writing, it, this, this kind of feedback really makes a difference because like I, it's good for me to be reminded that, Hey, I have readers out there that are loyal to what I write that are waiting for this next book. And so it's, it's very helpful to me to get that kind of feedback in any way it comes in, including a list like this. And, you know, I was, I was very touched by the fact that one of my books ended up on this list and the times that one of my books has ended up on any of the reviewers top 10 lists, or, you know, you put together the top hundred, top hundred, uh, first. Yeah. But, you know, I had a book that was on that one and on the vacation read. So, I mean, it makes a difference. It, it really, it, it tells a writer that what we're doing makes a difference. Jeannie, for the folks who haven't connected with you yet, where can they find you online? You can contact me. You can learn about me and read about my books and contact me through my website, which is simply com. And you can email me through there and you can, uh, like I said, read a little bit about me, meet my dog and things like that. And then on Facebook, you can find me either through my personal Facebook page, which is simply Jeannie Levig, or I do have a Jeannie Levig's books page that is just called that, that if all you want is my book information and like other books by writers that I read, 
you know, I'll, I'll post new releases from them. Or if I've read an exceptionally good book, I'll post things there, but that one's only about books. And for people who don't want to wade through pictures of my grandkids and my dog and other things I'm doing. And then on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is simply at Jeannie Levig, you know, very easy to find. So those are, those are the places that I hang out the most. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you about books. I've loved it. You know, we haven't done a podcast together before, so I was really looking forward to that. And I'm like you, you know, the books I love, I could sit and talk about forever. (laughs) It's true. Thank you for tuning into the special TLR podcast series, where we have been chatting about our favorite rereads. Please make sure to use our buy links for Amazon or become a patron. Using our buy links gives us a small commission on purchases you make on Amazon within 24 hours of clicking the link. Becoming a patron means you get exclusive content. Go to patreon.com slash the lesbian review for more.